0: The Poorly Made Police Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for a mature audience. The views expressed on this Poorly Made Podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this Poorly Made Podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very Poorly Made Podcast... relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to another edition, an important edition, the 50th edition of the Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. Who'd have thought we would have made it this far? But here we are, standing tall. That sounded stupid. Anyway, how are you guys? I uh, hope you guys are having a good evening, afternoon, sexy time, whatever you guys are doing right now while you listen to this poorly made podcast. This this podcast is a little different than what I've done in the past. There's not like a question section that I usually do on Instagram. So the fella I talked to on this podcast, LT, is a cop in the Sunshine State. He had some specific things he wanted to address, and so I said, figured, fuck it, I'll let him do his thing. So he is a about a 20-year cop, wise guy, has a lot of good information, so I think you guys will enjoy it. He had a bunch of different experiences as a cop, went through some pretty heavy shit in his life, so definitely worth listening to what this guy has to say. But before we get rolling into the podcast, Sundays, your podcasts are brought to you by the one, the only, Officer Privacy. And as you guys know, I've been repping them for a while now. I'm going to continue to do so, because in this day and age... You need it. You don't want people showing up to your door. You want that privacy. Your personal information is available pretty much to anyone with an internet connection, right? The information includes your home address, phone numbers, names of relatives, all that good stuff. If you Google your name right now and the city you live in, you will see dozens of people search sites exposing your private information. This information can be used by stalkers, criminals, and identity thieves. You're on some viral video. They want your name and your badge number. They figure out what city you live in or Google nearby cities with your information, boom, it's right there. This is dangerous, but you can do something about it. You can remove yourself from these sites and take your privacy back. Finding the sites that have the information and going through the removal process can be time-consuming and frustrating. Each site has their own unique opt-out procedure, and many will not delete your information the first time you ask. And then there's a mess of keeping track of it all. Then, after you're removed, you'll be re-enlisted on the websites, and the cycle starts over again. Officer Privacy can help. OfficerPrivacy.com has two ways to help you take back your privacy. You can do it yourself. They've created a custom easy to use software so you can quickly navigate through the top 30 people search sites and delete your information. They have instructions for every site and they include a simple way to keep track of it all. They provide access to their software free for 14 days. This is plenty of time to go through and remove your information or you sign up for the premium service and they take care of everything for you. You sign up in Officer Privacy, staff of current and former US-based law enforcement officers will remove you from the top 30 people search sites and then monitor them. And if you show up, they'll take it out again. So guys, no excuse, go sign up officerprivacy.com. All right, moving on to uh, other things in poorly made police memes land. I did want to touch really quick on the Blue Falcon slash PM PM Court, that will be the next episode 51 i've got some cases lined up i'm working on a couple more it, this thing might die to be honest with you it's they're fun episodes to do and i really like it and uh for me it kind of you know varieties the spice of life kind of thing so it's kind of a fun thing to do it's been tough to get two people on at the same time that's what she said so if you're listening to this and you're interested in being on it you know, hit me up. You and your buddy, it's completely anonymous, takes thirty minutes, and it's a good time. But we'll see we'll see where it goes. I, I think they're fun episodes and I want to kind of continue it, but it's been tough to track people down for that. The other podcasts I have no issues finding people to get on. That's what she said. Anyway, let's uh get to our band, y'all. And the band we've got up today is Of Gods and Machines and their song Blue Collar Beatdown. And we'll be right back with the LT. All right. And the moment you've all been waiting for, I have the man, the myth, the legend, the LT on the podcast. How are you good, sir? What's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, just uh, hanging out in the basement, making a podcast. How what cold, do normal people do? How cold is it do? up there? Uh, it is fucking freezing balls outside. The, the podcast is actually nice and warm. The The basement's not too bad, man.
1: The only powder I want to see or the only snow I want to see is the stuff that me and my guys pull off of containers here in a port of Miami, bro. screw- it should not be colder outside than it is in your freezer. Uh, have you ever made it to the, uh, the Great White North? I, uh, I was up in 2005 in Yellowstone, and then I went uh, with my ex-wife and my kids to New York in 2017, and I think it was like 17 degrees. And when my teeth hurt when I'm talking, it's, it's too fucking cold. Man. nah, I got that Latin blood, bro. We don't do good with uh, with cold weather. Before
0: we get going on the, the podcast here, man, what are you having to drink? Funky Buddha Hop Gun IPA
1: fucking ipa come on bro you're better than that it's it's, it's all right it was available on the way home usually i, I go with a either a voodoo ranger or uh or yeah highlight that's another ipa these are all i don't do like bud or like miller Lite because to me if, if i'm gonna drink i'm gonna drink like quality stuff not you know not natty ice or not that there's a problem with, it, but not natty ice man there's too much available down here in miami to drink that stuff
0: how dare you I've got. I actually have an IPA that I'm going to try. This might be the last beer I have to try. I might have to go get some more. But I have so much uh, Bush Latte and so much Yinglings. I think I need to
1: finish them off. Before yeah, I, yeah, Yingling, yingling, yingling ain't bad. Yingling bad. But if you're trying to cut the the pounds down, the beer is going to kill you.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of part of my problem. Uh, so I've got <laughs> Lagunas Daytime. It has a picture La- of a, a a bent hammer, and it you, only you gotta has. Drink,
1: you got to try. You got to try Lagunita. The same company uh lagunita it's it's got a dog on it that it's strong as shit and it's good.
0: Let's see what we got here. This is like a healthy beer cuz it only has 3 carbs.
1: It's got to be it, impossible for you to work out with that weather up there.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, I had been going out and like running and shit and then it got really cold out and I have the baby here with me and uh I ain't taking my kid out in that kind of weather. So <laughs> Yeah, it's not good for him. Yeah, so I'm kind of between ordering a treadmill or getting a gym membership. And there's a little town nearby that has a gym. How old's your kid? 18 months.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, still a baby. Walking and babbling and everything already. Yeah, I
0: ain't taking him out in this
1: cold. By the way, this IPA IPA is good, by the way. So from experience, enjoy your kid. Take as many pictures as you can. Like, put it in the cloud or something. Because, like, you know, I have a a 16-year-old. Then my 11-year-old son that passed away. And then my 8-year-old. And if it wasn't for Facebook memories, I barely remember them when they were little like that. Like, barely. Well, dude,
0: here's what's fucked up is so he's my fourth and I swear, like none of my other kids did the same stuff that he does. And my wife's like, no, they all did the same type of stuff. And it was fucking working all the time, man. Working all the time, being stressed over work. I, ne- I yeah. never I didn't spend as much time with them when they were little as I should have, dude.
1: Yeah. Like I, I, I tell guys now, like now that, uh, that you know, I switched from from being an arc and I you know, do the, the homicide stuff now. um my wife well my ex-wife is also an officer and we we grew up you know the middle lower middle working class you know like where the parents had to bust their butt just to provide for for Christmas and stuff so when we both got hired we you know I was told her you know I'm gonna promote you know I'm gonna make the money and then you know you stay home with the kids and that's that's the way you know up until my son got sick for the 18 years we were together that's basically how I went you know and I missed a lot of stuff like baseball games and you know, show up late to parties and then called off for a warning, and have to leave and stuff. I, re- I honestly regret it. It's not worth it, man.
0: Kind of in the same boat. I mean, I was just working a lot of overtime, dude. As many overtime shifts as I could get, um, you know, staying late if they needed it. So,
1: yeah. Did you have minimum uh, mandatory staffing?
0: <laughs> not to have too big of a bitch session about my old apartment, but for the first couple of years I was there, it wasn't like that. They would never call people in. And then, Towards the end, they started calling people in and all that shit. But we had we had pretty good uh, plethora of like uh, off-duty gigs, where like yeah, the yeah. bank or the bar or wherever would hire. So so, cops. so we're
1: talking float. Like, like I hear, like when I go to like I've been sent to the DEA Unit Commander School and stuff like that. You know the FBI, uh, the, the six-week uh, Southern Police Institute training and stuff like that. And it's cool when you when you uh, talk to guys from other departments and you start to just talking to and how powerful the unions are. Like, what was if you don't mind discussing, because I'll tell you what our off-duty rate is. What's your guys' off what was your off-duty rate when you work for that department? Like, did they pay you up front? Like the troopers, like like FHP, they pay them up front. So you show up to your off-duty, it's a construction gig, they put the money cash in your hand. But for like for my department, it's uh, depending on your rank and depending on what you're working. So if you're working like a dolphin game and it's at capacity, uh as an officer, you're making 65 an hour, a sergeant is 70, and as a lieutenant, you're making 80 bucks an hour. And it, was 14, 50, it was about yeah, that. It was about that. Not all yeah, the yeah, jobs so.
0: paid that good, but most of them were like that. For the millions of people listening to the podcast, uh LT, would you tell the the people about you, man, your career?
1: So, I work for uh one of the largest police departments in the state of Florida. Uh I've got 19 years in sworn. Um I started out in uh a quiet like residential, you know, area. Um I spent about a year and a half, no, a year, and I was, abroad was a black fucking cloud. Like, I come from a family of cops, so they always told me, you know, your first year that you come on and, like, the rookies that are listening, this is 100% true. The way you work, if you're jumping calls, you know, making arrests, you make a reputation for yourself. Also, if, if, if you pay attention to the way you write your reports, if you're descriptive and, you know, you know the difference between ours, like, yours and mine's, like, ours and R, A-R-E. That makes a big difference. Um, I, I worked the street. Um, got a really every three or four days, I was getting really, really good callers, like really, really, really good stuff. Like the whole gambit, you know. Just on a traffic stop, a guy with two keys in the truck of his car. And then the next day, I would always make it a point to go through the the bullet boards to look for stuff that was active in our district. I would find a car that was wanted for breaking into houses. So very quickly, I uh, I went from there to uh, a crime suppression team, which is like a plainclothes unit, where all we do is try to prevent you know, class ones, you know, robbery, burglary, you know, ag assaults and stuff like that. Did that for two years, then went to narcotics, was there four years as, as a detective, you know, buying dope, working cases with the DEA, the FBI, stuff like that, you know, in the port. Um, got promoted, was on, was a street sergeant for exactly a year, then went back to uh, narcotics, was there for three in, uh the jump you know, in our version that we have down here called TNT uh, jump out team uh, did that for a few years. That's when all the political stuff started happening about, you know, aggressive, proactive uh, police units. And they like God, in our heyday in an operational night. We would arrest 150 guys and the whole gambit warrants, buying, selling, having a gun on them, being a stolen car. That got cut off. Uh, I got sent to investigate fraud like, uh, you know, Bank fraud, wire fraud, stuff like that, which a lot of cops shy away from. But once you get into it, it's actually the easiest type of cases to work because between subpoenaing uh, bank statements, pulling videos from from banks, by the time we have the PC to bring you in, we don't need to talk to you. We got you lock, stock, and barrel. Like, it's a wrap. Uh, made lieutenant went back to the road. I was a road lieutenant for like four months. And I, I will talk about it uh, in leadership, but my department, because of its size, one of the biggest problems that we have is there's no succession of leadership. So dude, you could, you could have done 20 years in narcotics. you're getting ready to retire. So what this, one of the biggest problems that my department has is that there's no succession. So the last year before you leave, you should be sitting down and basically writing a Bible, the do's and don'ts and stuff like that. And then when we get rookie detectives, bring them in and just give them all your knowledge. So when you leave the 20 years that you put in, isn't leaving. Where I was at when I was a street lieutenant, that were with me, that were recently promoted, had no investigative experience, and I could run, I could run an op with 150 guys with my eyes closed. So I was in charge of investigations for a year and a half, and I went back to narcotics. Uh, was there for six years. Uh, the, out of those six or three years, my son w- w- when he was sick, when he when he caught uh when he got cancer, but uh from there once he passed away, I took a little time off, and you know the bureau was kind of like a mausoleum of his memory. There was pictures of him on the on the hallways in the conference room. It was just too much. So I got asked to go to homicide. So I, I said, yeah, I need, I need to get out of here. Send me to homicide. So that, that's where I'm at now.
0: Did your department take care of you after you well, lost done,
1: your son? Well, During the entire sickness, 100%.
0: That's good to hear, man, because unfortunately you hear some stories where guys on different departments maybe don't get the help they need going through whatever it is.
1: Down here we have... We have, like I said, we have good units under strong units. The department, yeah, the department completely took care of us. Like, um, he got diagnosed the day before Father's Day in 2018. And while we're, there's no history of cancer in our family whatsoever. So while we're dealing with that, the department put together a blood drive. Uh, I was with him in the hospital for about a week until I had I had to go to the uh, before that I, have, that I have to redo and sign. And when I went in there, you know, the, the division like where like you know how uh, departments are set up by division patrol division administrative criminal investigations yeah the division dropped like eleven thousand dollars in cash in my hand so yeah they did my department took very 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 good care of my family very good care
0: that's good to hear man
1: so much so that when my son died they paid for the funeral
0: man i'm, I'm really sorry to hear about your son but i i'm glad to hear that they had your back through all that
1: yeah you know we i, I can't complain man my uh my the boss like you're, you're, you know, the, the departments have chiefs. We have a director, and uh, yeah, my director. I can't say enough about. Well, my two directors. I can't say enough about what they what they did for me and my family. So I have no complaints on that. And from I really have no complaints about my department.
0: That's good to hear, man. Because most guys I have on the podcast have a no. I've heard horror stories about their departments.
1: Yeah, I've heard horror stories. I'm like, how do these? How do these? How does this brass sleep at night doing this? You know, this shit to these guys that are going through hell. I look at my guys as a commodity. You guys are important to me. So if you're coming to work pissed off or feel like you're not being taken care of, your mind is not on what you need to do. Cause I used to tell my guys as a straight Sergeant and a, and a road Lieutenant, like, I don't care about stats. I don't care about the I don't care about tickets. The most important thing for me is that you guys back each other up. All right. And you go home the same way you came to work in one piece. Now, if you want to go to units or you want to go, you know, the SWAT team or do this stuff you have to produce, I'm not going to ask you to do that, but you have to understand that If you want to progress in the department, you have to show a little effort. But the most important thing for me is that everybody goes home.
0: Absolutely, dude. I, I've talked to a couple guys that have kind of ran through the ranks of the department and done a bunch of different assi- special assignments. Out of all the special assignments and ranks and things like that, where what was your favorite place to be?
1: The narcotics bureau, man. The most fun I had in my entire ten years there. It's just different, dude. It's like it's family. You 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 spend end up you spend more time with, with your guys and you do with your own family. So. It's, I can't say enough how much I love that bureau. Well, how they took care of me when my son got sick, you know, the cases we work, just a camaraderie, like a lot of, a lot of my friends, well, you know, that old saying, tell me where your friends are and I'll tell you where you're going. Yeah. So that's, I've been very, very, very fortunate in my career that a lot of my friends are upper, upper command staff, upper brass. And man, like that bureau, dude, a lot of guys that retire, tell you, like, I don't miss the work. I miss the people.
0: When you were on the, doing the narc stuff, is it Was it pretty hands-on stuff, or were you guys doing a lot of uh, surveillance?
1: No, the, the whole gambit, man. Everything from working trap houses, doing jump outs to multi-ounce, multi-kilo deals on the state side, or year-long, two-year-long investigations with kilos and loads coming in from, from, from the south and subs or in boats, working with the Coast Guard, working with the, the, the National Guard. I mean, the entire gambit, bro. everything. We did everything.
0: Now, for those aspiring to be narcotics officers, what is the best type of bottle to take a piss in while you're, you know, doing surveillance? Extra, lar-
1: and- extra large evidence bag. An evidence bag? Extra large evidence bag. Yep. Extra large evidence bag. Cool. Really? Cause, yeah. Because Number one, you don't have to buy it because it's in a station. Number two, you know you just pour it out it falls out like a like out of a bag instead of in a bottle where you go to pour it out it's splashing everywhere
0: damn bro i would have never even thought of that
1: evidence bag buddy
0: evidence bags i like it there's gonna be a bunch of dudes stockpiling evidence bags after this podcast <laughs> bro, I got stories. where are you going with all those evidence bags no don't worry about it
1: oh no once once we're done uh once you're done you empty it out you fold it up and and uh, if you're smart, you carry another evidence bag just for your, your pee bags. So you put it in that and every week or, you know, every, no, at the end of the, at the end of the op, you just throw it out.
0: That's wise, man. That is
1: wise. I was going to tell you uh, one of my funniest surveillance stories. Let's hear it, man. So in, in one of the, in so we have, it's Miami and man, we have a lot of bad neighborhoods. So is, uh, it's, it's a district called the Northside and uh, this mile, this, this Avenue is, they call it Miracle Mile. And the reason they call it Miracle Mile is if we go a night without a shooting or a homicide, it's a miracle. And it's, it's bad, like prostitution, like one of the worst streets in Miami. So we were uh, doing, we were an old beat up Chevy van, like an 89 Chevy panel van. And we we're doing surveillance on a trap house, calling up buyers. And it was me, a female detective and a male detective. I was a sergeant at the time. And I'm telling you this, crackheads have superpowers. Do you know why crackheads have superpowers? Probably the crack. <laughs> no crackheads have superpowers because they could walk up a street and pick out a car that's never there and call it out. Mind you, this band was fucked up. This band was beat to shit. Their windshield was cracked, it was beat up. And we heard a crackhead shuffling up to the to, to the spot to buy. Call us out. Hey, hey, that band don't belong there. That band don't belong there. So the trap house, I don't know if it's the same way nationally. It's like when you take away the mystique of the drugs and how it comes into the country at the end of the day, it's a business. So a lot of the trap houses down here run by experienced guys. The main guy is not going to be at the house. He's going to come by at the end of the night to pick up the money. You got your seller, the guy that actually provides the dope. You got your money. You got the guy that takes the money from the buyer and walks up and gets the dope and brings it back. And then you got your muscle. The guys, you know, doing counter on bikes, walking around or guys with guns. So when uh, this crackhead called us out, one of the muscle guys started walking up to the, to, the, to the van and he was strapped. He had a gun in his hand. So my guys started freaking out. And I told him, hey, wait, 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 don't freak out, don't freak out, start shaking the van, start shaking the van back and forth. So I told the FEMA detective to start talking dirty, you know, like, yeah, baby, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And I told the detective, hey, say, yeah, baby, take it, take it, take it. So the guy thought, like, once he heard the detective's, like, going off, he thought it was, he he goes, oh, oh, it's just some bitch turning a trick. And he walked back to the the front of the house. (laughs) That's badass, dude. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, like, the, the, the unit I worked in, like, we got some of our uh, our eyeballs, the guys that, like, eyeball the traps and call it the bars, they're so good that I've had guys hiding in bushes, like, with those uh, those gully suits, those ghillie suits on, they get so close that they've been pissed on by, by guys working at the trap house.
0: That's taking uh, one for
1: the team to another level. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 we're here on the radio, oh, he's getting a bowl from shower from, from the target, and we'll start laughing at him on the radio. <laughs> so for aspiring weird. narcs aspiring narcs like okay for for narcotics detectives what's the most important thing that we have as far as investigations
0: Wait, is this a rhetorical question
1: i'm asking i'm asking what's the most important thing for an arc? we're not talking about being undercover like how do we get our information oh you gotta be you gotta have people to talk to you man you gotta be able snitches, to talk yeah to yeah them. you need you need you need snitches or down here in miami we call them chivos, goats like snitches So if you want to be if you want to be a narc, start developing, start developing people on the street that talk to you, that knows that know what's going on.
0: And people will tell you shit if they trust you. They will fucking tell you shit. Some of the best cops I knew had relationships with the people in the neighborhood. And if something was fucked up, those people in the neighborhood, they wouldn't tell anybody else, but they'd fucking tell that cop because they trust.
1: Yep. Yep. Give him the number. Give him the number to your burner phone. If something's up, call me. And if there's a way that, that we could get you paid, either through a crime stopper's bounty or if we could compensate you legally and by policy, we're going to do it. And nobody's going to know.
0: We talked a little bit about what your favorite gig was. What was your least favorite gig as a cop?
1: Directing traffic in the sun. That oh, that's the fucking worst and anywhere in the you country. Lose your, you lose your faith in humanity, man. Like there's a car that burned in a crash. There's like four bodies in the street, 10 fire trucks, and somebody pull up. I need to go that way. Okay, well, the streets shut down. No, I need to go that way. Well, why do you need to go that way? That's where I live. How long have you lived there? 15 years. Like, ma'am, how do you not know how to get home another way? And you've lived at that place for 15 years. So driving traffic sucks. It, yeah, it's amazing
0: that that is a thing all around the country, everywhere. Man, and people will fucking blow by... They won't pay attention. You could have an intersection shut down. People aren't paying attention. They'll blow through the intersection and almost kill you. Directing traffic is some of the most dangerous shit we have to do, honestly.
1: I'm sure you got like the guys that uh, that listen that probably identify. Like like, uh, one of the units I'm in charge of is investigating uh, fatal crashes. So at night, you have to be on your P's and Q's because you could have the street blocked off, roped off. Four, or five police cars fucking blocking all this traffic, and you will have a DOI plow through your scene and almost hit your people. And I'm telling you, the the overheads are on, and there's flares everywhere, and you'll it, it never fails. Uh, maybe out of ten death investigations with crashes at night, two you'll have a DOI blow through the to uh, the scene.
0: I swear that drunks are attracted to the lights.
1: Correct. I feel the same way.
0: It's like a it's <laughs> like a uh, a mosquito going towards the fucking the light. The flame. Yep. Yeah moth into the flame there yep when uh we were talking the other day about some of the stuff you wanted to talk about on the podcast you brought up some of the i don't want to say the most common but you brought up some of the things that you know have been kind of themes on the podcast and shit i think is important to a lot of people and i've been talking to you for a while and I, i figure you got some shit to say about all this stuff. So I feel like we should maybe just get right into it.
1: And the mental health, police mental Mental health, health, dude, what are your thoughts, man? Well, thankfully my department, it's one of the larger departments, while smaller departments down here in Miami is finally caught on. We're one of the only departments in the state of Florida that actually has a bureau of psychological police psychologists dedicated to mental health. So if there's an officer involved shooting, they go out to the scene. If there's a traumatic incident or something like a really fucked up call, happens they they respond to the scene they provide counseling like if like for me i'm not afraid to say that. I tell all my guys if you're going through something a divorce uh you have issues growing up and now they're manifesting now go see us go see us go see a shrink if you go see on your own nobody's going to know that you're going the therapist is not going to disclose if you have a substance abuse issue pills you know dope you know alcohol you could self-disclose to these therapists they'll send you to treatment and nobody will know and it's going to be paid by the department while you're gone. It's paid by the department. And while you're gone, nobody's going to know you're not going to get charged time off. So that's honestly, I think that's the biggest hurdle that we have as a department. and right not not the political stuff, not the stuff we see on this on the TV. It's it's cops killing themselves. I think for the last three or four years, you know, our own guns have taken more of us than a bad guy on the street. That's unacceptable, man.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, as a guy that's been on for almost 20 years, when you first came on. Was there any talk about mental health?
1: No, nah, you know how it is, dude. How long were you on? Eight years. So I'm sure when you first came on, you know, if if you go see a therapist because you went to a bed that you gave baby, you give a, 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 you know, a two month old and rigor mortis CPR, you know, that's fucking traumatic, dude. But if you were to say anything about it, you're a pussy, you're a punk, you know, swallow it, you know, deal with it. And no, nah, that's like I told you before, like you guys were a commodity, like you're discreet cops. And the secretaries in the station, you guys are the heartbeat of the department. So if you guys are messed up, nothing's going to work in the department. So to me, it's like I push that mental health stuff because I still see my therapist. You know, and I saw a lot of fucked up shit. You know, I've been involved in four shootings. You know, I've been fucked. I've I've taken a bullet, you know, and I was all fine with that until my son got sick. Once my son got sick, I completely came off the fucking tracks, man. It was too much. I know there's people out there listening now that are on the on the fence, but. It doesn't make you a punk to go get help. All right, what makes you a punk is doing something. Is killing yourself for something that's temporary. Like, that's that's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It doesn't make you a punk to go get help. It makes you a punk doing that because what I've seen it in my job when, when we have guys do that, what's left behind in the wake of when you do that is tragic. It's it's one of the saddest things you ever see. You leave behind a family, your coworkers. What What didn't I see? What did I do wrong? you know, it's, it's fucked up, man. It's not worth.
0: Yeah. And I, I, if you guys have listened uh one of the prior podcasts, I think two or three back that kind of came up and I made a statement that it it's selfish. I don't want to re plow old ground, so to speak, but I, I get where people kind of, you know, you, you have tunnel vision, right? Like in a critical incident, you have tunnel vision, you know, you're, you're basically looking down your sites. You're not, seeing what's going on around you You yeah there could could be a naked
1: clown twerking next to you and you're not going to see it because you have tunnel vision
0: yeah it's weird that you brought that up but yes you you have auditory (laughs) (laughs) yeah you have auditory exclusion you're not seeing shit and i think for somebody that's suicidal or even having those thoughts it's kind of that same thing where you're you kind of see the end of the tunnel but you're not seeing everything else that that goes goes along with it so no, and,
1: and, and I honestly think because I've, I've been down that path because after my son died like you know 10 days later I was kicked out of the house and you know my wife wanted a divorce out of the blue you know so I was never one of these husbands because this is very common in cop culture with women you know female cops and male cops we fuck around we like to fuck around I was never that guy you know I made my vows you know I told God you know through thick and thin be better or worse all that stuff so that never that was never even an option for me so but you know, it is from going from, I watched my son die. We both watch him CPR, the ICU, having to sign his DNR, all the three years of him being ill. His death was not supposed to happen. The leukemia he had, 98% of kids survive. So from going from that to, you know, within 10 days being kicked out of your house, you know, I slept on an air mattress in an apartment, an empty apartment, no fridge for two and a half weeks. You know, I don't want to get too much in a, into what happened because it's going to really identify me. Plus I'm still going through the divorce process, but I can, it's not that I was ever suicidal, but I understand why, why somebody would do that because my son was in a coma for, for a month from complications. And when he came back, you know, I always told my son that, you know, there's, there's a God, you know, not one God, you know, but you know, different than whoever's in charge up there, uh, show themselves to different people around the world in one way. And that's why there's different religions. But at the end of the day, there's something waiting for us when we die and stuff, we never spoke about heaven. And my son had a near death experience when he was in a coma. So his what he told me was um, that he was on a spaceship, but he wasn't in space. He was in the clouds. There was angels taking care of him, and there were other sick people on the ship. He was on the ship for a few weeks. He said that he ate really good food. He watched some movies, like did kid stuff. And he, uh, he pulled up to uh, a set of stairs. Like, I don't know. If, have you ever been on a cruise? I, I haven't. So like whenever you uh, disembark, there's like a gangway, like a, like a bridge that they put from the ship to, to to the dock. Yeah. So he told me that. That The the spaceship arrived, the dock or the plant came out and people started getting off. And he said when he was waiting in line, he looked really far away and that the ground was made out of clouds, like white clouds. And he saw people like, like little ants, like in line and really, really far away. There was a huge gate made out of gold. He said, dad, like a gate, like, like a skyscraper gate. I said, dad, behind that gate, there was, it was a sun, but he's like, dad, you know, when you look at the sun, it burns your eyes. And I go, yeah, I go to so no Dad. When I looked at the sun, it was like the best, the warmest tug I ever had. So it was my turn to get off. He told me that the angel that was taking care of him while he was there stopped him and told him, it's not your time. You got to go back. And then he, that's when he remembers like waking up because he was in a chemically induced coma, intubated dialysis machine. So a ton of 30, he was in, hooked up to 33 infusion machines. It was really fucking bad. And it took about two and a half weeks for him to get out of the fog from the opioids that they were using to keep him under. Then the methadone. Once I saw he was back, you know, I thought, I said, you know, puppy, what do you want? You know, you want to talk about what happened? He goes, yeah, what happened? He goes, you got really sick and you went to sleep. You were asleep for a month. He goes, but I wasn't asleep. And I go, what do you mean? That's when he told me the story. So with like the, the suicidal stuff and the death stuff, um, it was probably the lowest point in my life where not, like I said, not that I was thinking, you know what, just fucking plug yourself because your kid just told you what's waiting for you. It was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I have two other boys here waiting for me and I have too much to, I have too much to live for here. But I completely understand how a person could come to that conclusion. It's just like it's just like you decide today, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go fishing. It's just that easy of a easy of a of a decision.
0: Yeah, dude. And it's it's so sad that we just there's I mean, so many cops do it. I mean, there was just that case recently where it was
1: uh a married couple it was you know, basically. Yeah, here that was here in Florida, Pinellas County. The 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 officer, the, the the husband killed himself the next day the, the female officer killed himself, left behind a a month old baby. Yeah, dude.
0: I mean, how how fucking sad is that? So I god man I just I wish I hope people that are going through all that shit you know and and the other thing of it too is ignore all the noise too even if there is that fucking asshole in your ear or even a perception that there's you know somebody that wouldn't be supportive of you going and getting help then go fuck themselves to be honest with you you know I occasionally yeah, yeah. you know I get like I've admitted here in other places like I was in a pretty dark place when I left and was having a hard time with everything and there's dudes that'll fucking you know, say shit to me, whether it's in you know, emails and comments and shit like, yeah, oh, you're
1: stopping a you, pussy, you know, yeah, no. all the
0: shit. Like, I don't, I don't care about these people. They, they, you know, when I say at the end of the podcast, I love most of you. They're not people I love, right? They can go yeah. fuck themselves. So ignore all that noise that those people are pieces of shit. And, you know, hopefully they'll change and kind of see the light, but you got to do what's right for you and your family. And, and, if, and take if, care of you, if yourself. you're,
1: if you're not happy, you have to be happy before you can make anybody else happy. If you're not happy, if something's going on in your life right now that you know it's not good, whether it be against substance abuse or domestic abuse, something, just pick it. You saw a fucked up call last night or you handled a fucked up call last night and it's fucking with your head. All right. It, it doesn't make you a punk to go get help. What makes you a punk is not getting help, is being afraid, is, is worrying about the stigma. Like, no, fuck, fuck the stigma. You yeah. know, what, what's, what's worse that, that, that you know, somebody finds out you're seeing a therapist because you, you had a fucked up call last night or you fucking put a bullet in your head and now they're renaming a street after you.
0: Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly. I, I did want to bring something up that got brought to my attention after one of the last podcasts. And the guy and, and I may have him on down the line. Actually, I, I will. I plan on having him on the podcast down the line. But he was basically like, hey, I was in a critical incident. It was super fucked up but I'm totally fine, which I, I, my
1: point with that is that could be true. If that makes any sense. I've been involved. I've been involved in four I've killed four guys and I was fine. Like my first shooting, like I told you, I was a black cloud. My, so for us, I don't know how your FTO face went over there in your department, but for us, once you get out of the Academy, you do a month unevaluated just to get you acclimated. Then you do one month on days. Your third month is on afternoons, your fourth month is on midnights. And then for your fifth month, you come back to uh to the ship you started in on your first month, and you're by yourself. My very, very first call as a cop by myself, I killed a guy. And I was I, I, I was more worried about getting fired than I was about like I didn't have nightmares, I didn't have any of that stuff. But eventually, like, look, we all have these uh, our psyche, you know, our minds. So the way, the way that in the books that I've read. Is it's a bucket. Everybody's bucket is can only take so much before it overflows. So yeah, you may have a a critical incident and maybe okay, and have another one maybe okay. But two or three years down the line, something's gonna happen and now you're not okay anymore. And all that shit that you stuffed down before is gonna come forward. So now you're dealing with what happened to you now and all the shit that happened before. It's all coming all the way to the top. Now you have to deal with it.
0: Maybe this is a terrible analogy, but. Everybody's bucket, I think, is a different size too. And I think you have to yeah, yeah, respect yeah. that. But it's, it's like, you know, peepee size. Like some guys have big peepee. Some guys have a bigger bucket. Some guys have a smaller bucket. And just because the guy next to you is handling something well doesn't mean you have to. Or just because the guy next to you is handling something bad you, doesn't necessarily mean there's something well, wrong with this,
1: you. This, this, this is something else I've encountered, you know, in, in my therapy and in. Like for me, I've always been the, the kind of cop that if I don't understand something, I don't want it to scare me and I educate myself because once I understand what it is, the fear is gone. So, like with me, I have PTSD, man, from my son's death and everything before. So, what I always told myself is, uh, you know, just because what's happened to me is worse than what's happened to you, doesn't mean that you don't hurt as bad as I do for what's happened to me. So, don't minimize. Yeah, you know, there, there's guys listening right now that don't know how the fuck they're gonna pay their rent and are stressed out. You know, so don't minimize, you know, guys, if you're listening, don't minimize what you're going through because somebody else is going through something worse. It still hurts you just as bad. So don't minimize.
0: Absolutely. Great point, man. Great point.
1: Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a unit commander and, you know, above all else, you know, my, guy, my guys being happy at work and at home is paramount. I don't care about anything else. Work is going to get done. It's going to come in. It's, I can handle it if somebody makes a mistake. And we get to that in the leadership when we start talking about leadership. But, guys, if 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 there's an issue, go take care of it. You don't want to get to the point where you know what the oil on your gun tastes like. Go get help. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you weak. It actually makes you strong going on, on your own to get help before you catch a DUI and get released to duty. And now you're forced to go. Or you go pee dirty and you got pills in your system that you're not prescribed. Go get help. That doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Go get help.
0: Absolutely. And... Remember, cops go out and see the most traumatic shit on earth daily. Most people in their lifetime are gonna have gonna see death. They're gonna see something traumatic. It's gonna happen to them, but cops get subjected to it on a daily basis, and it does fucking add up. So
1: it compounds. It, comp- absolutely, it absolutely compounds. Like when, when I when when you know when I worked the you know the hood, you know, I, I, there's times where I would see guys go from a drive-by shooting with six people dead. To a baby, uh, well, this is one of the worst calls I've ever handled. Um, I just left uh, domestic murder-suicide. I knocked that call out in two hours. I then went to back up one of my officers on a fatal crash. It was a DUI. That This is on Christmas Day, by the way. To, uh, Christmas Day 2006. No, 2004. A DUI ran, a, a, uh, ran an intersection, hit a bus of a, a Columbia family that was in town to see their mom. It was mother, father, four kids. And a set of grandparents killed all of them. Jesus. And like always, the DUI was perfectly fine, not injured. And then from that call, one of our officers on duty got in a crash and died. And I had to end on that call. That was all in one shift. So when you're saying compounding, yeah, like the years compound, man, like I said, that not the bucket, the evidence back, because that's what we pee in down here. See, the evidence back, could only hold so much before it starts overflowing. And now you got an issue.
0: Absolutely, dude. Let's jump into the leadership a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on some of the issues with leadership right now?
1: It's, well, what a lot of departments uh, recognize is when they start having like personal issues on the, you know, the silver badge level, you know, like the the officers, it's actually more reflection on the guys in charge. There's an issue there. So the reason I decided to promote was I got tired of working for morons, guys that didn't give a fuck. You know, one of the things that used to always piss me off is when when I was working the, the, the road, a sergeant would come in and say, hey, you know, we get off at 10, don't get involved in shit past nine. But well, we're still getting sent to call. So if you get some asshole that you got to go hands on on him So he wants to fight, now you have officers saying, I can't hit this guy because the sergeant's going to get pissed off. So what's going to happen off- to, to the officer? The officer's going to get hurt. So it was that, and then there was, and I don't like it to call it supervision. I like to call it leadership because I'm not knocking people that work in the like the civilian sector. Us uh, supervisors, supervisors, leaders, leaders, we're paramilitary, man. We lead. So, um, it's that, you know, supervisor or leaders that sergeants, lieutenants, captains, you name it that really don't give a fuck. And then put the stress on their guys and they're pissed off when things are getting done. The next thing is, I told you before succession, like I make it a point that when I supervise now, I want my guys to be a better version of themselves when I leave. So it may be, sending this guy to this particular training that he's always wanted to go to, and I know he's going to be good at it, but the previous supervisor didn't want to write up the paperwork to pay for it. No, that's my job. My job is to make you better. I've even mentored. Every, we have promotional tests here every two years for sergeant, lieutenant, and captain. And I've actually done seminars where I teach the guys how to attack the test. And I give them information and I give them, you know, electronic flashcards and this is how you do it and this is what you got to do and this is how it works. And I do it for free. You know, historically, Guys that have attained rank do the class, but then they charge you know seven hundred fifty dollars head for the class, and to me, dude, that's that's a mortgage payment, that's a car payment. Like, no, knowledge is supposed to be shared. It's not supposed to be put under a money wall. Like, no, that that needs to change. And then the way, like I said, I read and educate. Like, I don't. Do you know who Simon uh, Sinek is? I don't. You have to look up Simon Sinek. He does a TED Talk thing, but he also does his own thing. That guy, the way he talks about leadership, is perfect. It's perfect. So he goes into this thing about. You know why do eaters uh, leaders eat last? Year? Some knowledge, man. So you know, in your department, do you ever do like a like a Thanksgiving or July Fourth like cookout with the, with a department? You know, like where the department just like catered and people ate. Uh, I mean, not really. No, that's fucked up. Because I'm <laughs> telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, if I'm your, if, if you if you work for me, Thanksgiving, July Fourth, and Christmas, nothing's getting it's nothing's getting done. We're going to sit down and we're going to eat. We're going to be a family. Bring your family to the bureau. We're going to sit down and sit down as a family. So the reason that he says that um, leaders eat last is because who? I've told you this before. Who runs the show? Patrolling secretaries, bro. So why should you guys not eat first? Because that I'm the sense. captain or I'm the lieutenant and I'm going to get the food first. Fuck that. No, you guys are going to eat first. You guys make the show run. You guys are going to eat first. I'm going to eat last. And if there's no food, that's fine. Because throughout the year, you guys feed me. I get to eat. But now when it's your day, you guys come first, you guys are eating first. Now we're coming into the, the servant servant leadership. This is what I was telling you before. This is the, this is the way that, that I lead. I'm a servant. It's my job to serve you. If you don't serve me, I serve you. Now, there may be times where I see you're coming off the tracks and I got to kick you in the ass and get you back on the tracks. You know, th- that's what I'm going to do. That's my job. I serve you. Okay. So this is something else Simon Sinek says. So if. Dude, if you know you work for me and what kind of supervisor I am, you know I'm going to take care of you. All right, what are you going to do for me? Work hard, bro. Correct. You're going to bust your ass because I'm busting my ass for you. I know for a fact, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to bust your ass for me. And there's another mistake. If there's any like new brass listening, okay. A lot of new leadership and even old leadership, they try to beat shit into your head. Policy, this new memo that came down, they beat it in your head. What a lot of these people don't understand is that If I have control over your heart or you know that I care about you and I'm telling you this because I care, now I have your head. I have your brain. A mistake that a lot of leaders make is they try to go the other way around. They try to go through the head to get to the heart. It can't be like that. Because if you know that I have your best interest in mind when I do things or if some shit policy comes down that, hey, guys, this is coming down the pipeline. We have no control over this. But it's important to the department. We got to comply. Right. So what you're
0: saying, though, is good leaders are essentially zombies. What do you mean, like how? Uh, it's just making a dumb joke about the head. Oh, brains. no, no. Yeah.
1: But like No, no. Bad leaders are fucking zombies. No, fuck no. But,
0: I'm just giving uh, you shit. A, a, a make, poorly made joke.
1: Yeah, 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 now, yeah. Now, let me uh, let me break
0: break into this real quick because I'm on the same page as you. There, but I've heard, and it applies to other arenas, but there's this, there's this thought process that you cannot take care of yourself or you can't take care of others until you've taken care of yourself. I'm I'm fucking on the fence with that. And I see the the side of it, but I think some people would counter what you're saying by saying, "Well, wait a wait a second. As the leader, I need to and I'm just playing devil's advocate just to No, clear. no, yeah, yeah. As the leader, I need to eat first because I can't serve my people if I haven't eaten. And I'm throwing that out there just because People get kind of weird with all that shit. I don't necessarily subscribe to it. I'm kind of of my mindset is if you're in a leadership role, you're you're you serve the dudes. They can fucking eat. You'll be fine kind of thing. Because people always take that, I think, too far. Like we're not starving. Like we're not on an island. Like I can go to 7-Eleven afterwards and, and get a snack. People kind of I feel like people kind of manipulate these uh, these platitudes and turn them so, into life, but so, I, I think um, they should be lessons, but not necessarily like
1: I'm. I'm gonna clap back
0: at you. Or, did you just fucking say clap back? I'm gonna clap back at you. Jesus fucking
1: Christ, go ahead. I'm gonna clap back at you. So you said it three times. So <laughs> if, 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 look, if if we as cops, we listen to people, we listen to people's problems twenty four seven, and when somebody's talking to you. Based on what they're saying, you kind of understand where they're coming from, what's happened to them in the past. So you saying that to me tells me that you had some really, really shitty supervisors or leaders when you were when, when you were on. So there's a level of mistrust. This guy's being nice to me. You know, I can't trust him because he wants something, which to me I love, which to me I love. Okay, you're going to be the the curmudgeon, like not bitter, but like you don't trust anybody. Okay, I'm going to show you that I'm not the people that, that you worked for before. I'm going to show you. And I've had it happen to me.
0: I don't necessarily... I don't know. I had some good dudes I worked for and I had like, I had a few little shadier supervisors. All it takes,
1: all it takes is one bad sergeant, one bad lieutenant and bro. And you're, you're salty for the rest of your fucking career.
0: My, my biggest, my personally on, on my is I had bigger problems with the people way up high, but you would get issues because those people in the lower supervisor positions were very loyal to whatever the mission was, even as like terrible as it was. As, and when I say mission, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever, I'm going to use the word again, platitude, the department was using. Here's my favorite shit talking about leadership. Every year in my district, they would put up on a poster board, the, the goals of the district for that year on a poster board every single year. And it was basically the same thing, but maybe written a little bit differently. We never, ever talked about them ever. It was just on a poster board magically every year. There was never an email like, Hey guys, these are the five things we want to work on this year. It was basically, Oh, we're just basically putting this up to say we're doing it, but they didn't actually do it. And I remember, and I can't say exactly what it was because I still don't really want to give away where I worked, but Towards the end, you know, the department came up with this brand new, like, fancy saying that they probably paid some marketing campaign thousands of dollars for. They told the media all about it, and we never got any information on it. You know, that kind of shit drives me nuts.
1: So this, okay, so what you're saying there, like, goals, like, this is where it comes down to the leader based on where he leads, knowing his people. So, like, if, let's say for the month, the platoon's goal was to write 150 citations. You're not going to get them from me because the only, the only tickets I wrote were PC. Now I have my pet peeves, just like I'm sure you did. Like people that speed through school zones or stop on train tracks or go around a bus, you're going to get cited, bro. But I never wrote like tickets, tickets. Like I never sandbag stop signs. I never did any of that stuff. I was always looking for, for guys out there breaking the cars, breaking into houses, doing robberies. But this is where it comes down to the leaders knowing where their people are strong at. So, what did you like to do when you were a street cop? What like, did I like to lead?
0: do? Honest man, I just fucking liked answering calls.
1: I so was perfect. that guy. So perfect. I know, I know, I know for a fact. You know, Port, uh, you know, Officer Porty made police memes likes handling calls. So I know he's gonna be my workhorse when calls are being handled. You know, the lieutenant wants 150 citations on the platoon. Who likes to write tickets here? This guy likes to write tickets. Okay, so I'm gonna tell the guy, hey, every day for an hour and a half. You're not handling calls unless something crazy goes out or, you know, an officer needs emergency backup, go write tickets. As many as you want. And then, you know, hey, we want 20 arrests, you know, self-generated arrests. You know, that would be my job. 20 arrests in a month? I can knock out 45 in a month by myself. So it's knowing what your people are strong at. And not asking you to go start doing jump outs or doing surveillance on trap houses and stuff like that because that's not your niche because everybody has their niche. That's where knowing your people comes into play.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I think depending on the leadership, you either know your people or your people are a number like, Oh, uh, I got seven guys on. That's what I need. And whatever else happens is fine.
1: You know, something that always like grinding right my fucking gears is when some, there's a difference between you making an honest, honest mistake on the call. And then you just, just cause you want to you do something dumb. So it always bothered me when I was a Sergeant was, When a guy would make an honest mistake, you know, he was fighting a guy and on a body camera, he called him a motherfucker, you know, piece of shit, stop fighting me and i will fuck you up. The brass has a problem with that. You know, that goes contrary to professionalism and all that stuff, you know, write him up. And I would would sit down there and have an argument with my lieutenant, like, no, like I was fighting a guy. No, no. When was the last time you fought a guy? When was the last time you had to use the force? Like, no, you haven't, you haven't put your hands on a guy, handcuffed a guy in 10 years. So how are you going to tell this guy how to handle a call? where the guy's twice his size and is cursing at him while he's fighting him. No, I'm not writing him up. I'm not writing him up. Another mistake that that leadership makes is that just because it's written on paper, that's gospel. You cannot write a policy for the job that we do. If that's going to work hundred percent of the time. There always has to be wiggle room. And just because a guy makes a mistake and you know, he made a mistake doesn't mean we have to slam him because at the end of the day, I want you to come to work. Happy, happy to be, or happy to work. Mistakes are going to be made. I don't want you to worry about having to make a mistake. Right, and it's going to alter the way you do your job. It's going to get you hurt. No, hey, dude, you made this mistake. Hey, take it on the chin. You know, you made an honest mistake. Just be careful, don't do it again. As opposed to, oh, you made a mistake. You're going to get suspended for five days. He made a mistake. He didn't do it on purpose. Like, why are we slamming this guy? And yep. now we're getting into polit- now we're getting into political stuff. Oh, because that guy was married to this captain's daughter, and a divorce. And it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not getting with that political stuff. I don't do that internal political bullshit. This is a job. Workers working that it.
0: I'm a firm believer there really shouldn't be many policies that say shall not. There should be some should nots, but not shall not. And all you fucking guys that have to deal with power DMS, you know what I'm talking about? And they would change that shit all the time.
1: You guys use the same thing?
0: Oh, power DMS, fuck my life. You get those fucking emails. You get the email, yeah, review it. Oh, review these nuts. Fuck me. Yeah. Well, what's good? I,
1: what's good about our RSOP is that one of the very, very first lines in chapter one is that uh the department recognizes that it cannot develop policy or procedure um that's one that's concrete, that can manage or direct an officer how to handle the uh the the encounters he may, you know, the, the encounters he may face doing his job. So we don't have like shall not you shall not drink on duty. Like there's certain things that yeah, you're not gonna do. You know, but there's, there's other policies where there's too much, there's, there's wiggle room. Like I've never, I've never subscribed to just because I can't fuck you. I'm going to fuck you. You know, like, no, let me talk to you. What happened? Okay. Let me listen. Okay. You made an honest mistake. Or, you know, I've had times where, you know, it's a problematic officer, you know, an officer in one of these crusty old, like hates the world, been divorced six times, you know, hates everything. He could win the lottery when $50 million and bitch he has to pay taxes. Like one of those guys that just makes a stupid, mis- not a stupid, but just make this does it on purpose because he's lazy. So, you know, in those instances, like, okay, one, you made a mistake, you know, it was an honest mistake, take it on the chin, you know, we'll, we'll let it ride. The second, like I said before, is like, no, you did this on purpose, dude. Like, seriously? Like, you, you, you've already been, I've already called your attention to the fact that on multiple occasions, you arrest a guy, drop him off the station for transport, the transport guy pa- pass him down, he's got a gun on him or a knife on him. Like, this is not the first, not the second, it's the third time. Like, you're not even searching your guys. And that's not, that's either going to get you killed or somebody else go like, no, I'm not going to fly with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, there's definitely a difference in making a mistake or maybe an oversight one time than a habitual pattern. And God, and this is just an opinion. I, I could be off on this, but I feel like some departments are. Way too lax in their punishments or or how they deal with shit, and shit falls through the cracks. And then you have these big crazy fucked calls that basically destroy the department. And then you have the departments that are so high strung that guys can't fucking breathe. And they wrong
1: they want to write you up.
0: Yeah, you you know you fucking. You know, you you fucking ate corn, and there's corn in the toilet. You're you know you're getting a write up. You know it's not organic corn. It, you know, it, the old joke is how many times did I violate policy walking out to my fucking squad car today?
1: No, everybody violates SOP on a daily basis. You just don't know it.
0: Yeah, because there's so much of it, and I think again, it's is a willful intent or is it ridiculous? And I get like, oh, you got to know all the rules of your employment. I totally get that, but. For policing, the goalposts are changing. You know, if anybody's not a cop, but you're, you're know, wondering what the fuck is Power DMS? It basically it's a program a lot of police departments use to keep track of their policy and procedure. And when there's an update and they change policy, then you go read and sign off on it. When you get hundreds of those a year, it gets kind of confusing and convoluted. When your policy there's, there's, and procedure manual is is longer than the fucking Bible. It's confusing. There's top end
1: brass. I guarantee you, there's top end brass that does not know the department's policy.
0: No, no way. Brass doesn't. uh, There's top end brass that doesn't know what patrol does anymore. And then when something happens, they're so shocked by it. But they got when's the last time they were out and saw what their boys and girls were doing?
1: So you you hit on something that I did as a street sergeant. I did as a as a a street lieutenant, and I'm going to make captain soon. I'm going to do it as a street captain, right? So I would make it a point, even when I work narcotics as a supervisor or as a leader, I. I would go to the stuff that I didn't have to go to, you know, I would go to calls that I didn't have to go to. And, you know, I would tell my guys, I'm not here supervising you. I'm not here, babying you. I'm here for two reasons. Number one, I need to know what you guys face on a daily basis. So I could properly lead you guys and see what you guys have to deal with every day. Number two, if the Sergeant or the Lieutenant is throwing the first punch on a guy that needs to get his ass kicked, what does that mean? You guys can do. Yeah. I'm going to be in the trenches with you. I'm not here to, to micromanage. No, I'm here. This is your call. You're in charge. I'm here as a backup. What do you need me to do? So that way I understand what my guys are doing. So when something comes down the pipeline or I see an issue, I have a fundamental understanding of what I see now as opposed to what I saw when I was a street cop 10 years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, and
1: and then,
0: I, I, and then I, some guys kind of hide behind the thing of, well, I can't get involved because I'm the sergeant or I can't get involved because I'm a lieutenant. Uh, nobody's asking you to fucking take a bunch of calls or back up on every single fucking call. But what we're guys are asking is for you to at least fucking
1: know what we're doing. Correct. That's why I would go out. i would would go to calls. You know, they would send a a priority call out. And I know for a fact that everybody's tied up. I'll get on the radio. Yeah, I'm in route. And then that was unheard of when I was, you never, ever your Lieutenant ever. The only time you started, Lieutenant is when you fucked up or you're getting your evaluation. That's it. Like I said, I made it a point to let me go to calls. If I hear my guy take a subject check, you know, something else that really, that really pissed me off when I came back to the lieutenant is that guys are taking traffic stops. And my, what I was, before I went back up to investigations as a unit commander for investigations, I was on midnights and you always, I'm not the guy that'll bring you in the first day. And I want it in the roll call. I want this. I want that. I want this. I'll come in. Hey, I'm so-and-so here's my cell phone number. If you guys need me, call me and I'll leave. And then I'll sit back and watch. And went very quickly, one of the very, very first things that really, man, this fucking pissed me the fuck off was an officer took a traffic stop on a major thoroughfare down here in Miami. And then lieutenants in my department, they don't drive more cars. They drive unmarked cars. So I heard him take a traffic stop. I parked in a parking lot and I watched. I watched this guy pull out three subjects, pat him down by himself. And I'm like, where the f- where the fuck is this squad? So I called the sergeant. and go, hey, what are you doing? Oh, no, I'm getting coffee with the guys. Well, you know, this unit is here on a traffic stop. He's been there 25 minutes, and I'm watching him pat guys down. Get the fuck over here. And then I went, you know, hey, officer, how you doing? Oh, hey, LT, what's up? Do your thing, bro. I'll watch these guys. And it happened again the next night. Same squad, same sergeant. Call, sergeant, call the sergeant and get in. Hey, where are you at? Oh, no, I'm getting a, a, a quick bite to Same officers on a traffic stop. I've been here for 10 minutes. I'm with him now. Nobody's come by. Oh, no. Let me uh, pay for the bill. And, and, you know, I'll come and say, no, dude, do me if you go home. Well, what? yeah, go home. Don't put it in a sip. Go home. But well, why? Because I'm doing your job for you. If I'm doing your job for you, I don't need you here. Go home. So I made it a point when I would check in. Look, if my guys take a traffic stop, if they do a subject check, you will dispatch a, ba- a backup officer. If an officer is not available, you send a sergeant. If they're not available, i wait anyways. And then this thing, I don't know if this ever happened in your department where two men calls like a burglar alarm that's been holding for an hour and a half, two hours. You take it by yourself, absolutely not. Mm-mm. If it's two officers need to go, two officers are going, period. Fucking period.
0: Real quick, man, because you, you kind of hit a nerve with me as, for a couple of things. A, traffic stops. and I, Look, I get you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're, nobody else is on. It is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, if
1: you're, if you're rural, like, yeah, your backup is an hour halfway. That's one thing. But when you have 16 guys working, you know, Miami, you know, a, a neighborhood in Miami, at two thirty in the morning, especially the area where we work, there's fucking nothing going on. So why are you not back? Why isn't the entire platoon here, not backing this guy up?
0: Exactly. The, yeah, if you got a guy on a traffic stop, your buddy, whatever zone mate, some guy, to, you hear a cop on a traffic stop and you're not doing anything, just go by. Make sure he's okay. That should be fucking. That, that's common courtesy, dude. Now no, I will that's, say that's,
1: that's why I sent a sergeant home and say I'm doing a job for you. Go home. Go home. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I'm
0: agreeing with you. I'm just throwing it out there for the kids. That are listening. The other thing I wanted to add on to that, though, is, and maybe you'll disagree. If there's a bunch of shit going on, unless you have to pull over that car, like because it's a, a drunk and it's going to kill somebody, or there's something else super fucked up, don't no, fucking I, stop. I agree. With
1: you, I agree one hundred percent. Don't stop if, fucking yeah, cars when
0: calls are pending. If don't it's a be sh- a if
1: it's a shit show, that yeah, the shit's hitting the fan. Don't be dumb and fucking stop a car because around a stop sign, bro. Go handle fucking business, man.
0: Yeah, that shit would drive me please, nuts. Please.
1: My, my captain at the time heard me when I would check in at 10 at night. The same thing, the same spiel. Yeah, two-man calls or two-man calls. I don't care how long they've been holding. Sent to people. Traffic stops, dispatch an officer. The same spiel. So my captain calls me. goes, hey, you know what's up with that? I told him, no, I've been seeing on my platoon. And this is what's going on. It's unacceptable. He goes, no, but if an officer's on a traffic stop and needs a backup, he'll call for a backup. And I go, captain, I understand. But every single cop that's been killed on a traffic stop didn't know the guy was going to kill him. Yeah, absolutely, oh, you know, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Two man,
0: two man calls. And again, I get it. If you're a rule, small place, a rule. I always fucking can't say that rule. But I, so I've talked
1: to,
0: I I've talked to some guys in smaller town cops, and they're like, well, these fucking big city guys, you know, they roll up to you know these calls with a bunch of people. We don't, we don't need all them people.
1: You're Why talking out of your ass.
0: You, you're talking out of your ass. If you have a fucking the resources. Use the resources. It's not about being a fucking cowboy. Don't, you know, and the guys that are in kind of like this medium sized departments having cover on calls. is It's not a fucking pussy move. It's being smart. If you have to, if you work a place like that where you don't have cover, it kind of is what it is. You know, I'm sure you knew that up when you signed up, but if you work somewhere and there's guys available just because policy doesn't say you need two people there, have somebody fucking watching your back or go watch your buddy's back. And that that's kind of my two cents on that. Don't be fucking Cavalier.
1: Yeah. So, so I, th- I think, it's a pride, you know, that that bullshit pride back and forth things that between, you know, like the sheriff, cause you know, the sheriff and then the, the municipalities and then the, the guys that work r- rural areas. The only, the only bulletproof person I've ever heard of is Superman. So unless you have a fucking cape and a six pack and shoot fucking lasers out of your eyes, you need a backup.
0: What about Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris doesn't need backup, right? He's got another.
1: He's got another foot under his uh, under his chin. So no, no, Chuck Norris is fine. He could catch yeah. a bullet with his teeth. Yeah, I so, believe I believe in old Chuck. So, so something another thing important for like the new, the new uh, gold badges. That's what we call them down here. You know, sergeants and up is uh, something that always bothered me when uh when I was an officer. One of the reasons I promoted it is that if you got a guy or a girl historically has been a badass or has always been dependable, and now they're showing up late to work or they're calling out sick excessively. What's always a go-to move? You're, you're always showing up to work on time. You're taking care of cases. You're bringing in fucking arrests. You're a badass. You're one of the baddest on the platoon. And then from one month to the next, you're showing up late to work every day. You're calling out sick excessively. What's always a go-to move?
0: Yeah, you, you got me beat, man. What do you got? Write them up. Find out what's going on. Oh, you know, I okay. I got you. I thought, never mind.
1: I'm an idiot. So yeah. something that always fucking irked me when I was the, the short time I was a road lieutenant is that I had a guy come in and tell me. ALT we need to write this guy up. Okay, what? Why? You know, for the last three weeks he comes into l- late to work every day, and then when he does show up to work, you know, the last three weeks he's worked two days out of his out of the week. The rest of the time he's falling on sick. I want to write him up for abuse of sick leave. And I was like, wait a second, bro. Let me look at his past evals. Yeah, this guy's a stud. Let me look at his, his yearly. This guy's got an outstanding. He goes, yeah. So yeah, I need to write him up. It's like, have you talked to him? Like to see what's going on? He goes, no, no, fuck that. I'm gonna write. him. I was like, no, you're not. You're going to go talk to your guy and find out what's up. Something's going on. Go talk to him. So he goes and talks to him. The next day he comes and sees me. He goes, yeah, I talked to him. I said, so what's going on? Oh, his wife is leaving him. You know, he's going through a nasty divorce. She kicked him out. He's living in a hotel. And okay, this is your next conversation you need to have with him. What does he need? What? What does he need? Does he need to adjust his shift? His day's off? What does he need? What do you mean? What does he need? That's your job as a sergeant. You got to take care of your guy. He's going through something traumatic. You want to slam them. What does he need? You need to ask him. What do you need? You need to work different, like during a week, Do you need different days off during a week. We can work it out, work with them, And it worked out. And this guy want to just come in and fucking slam them. And I was like, bro, that's not cool. That's not cool. If you see a deviation like that so quickly, you need to find out what's going on with your guys before you decide to throw the book at them. That's not how this works. Again, you guys are the commodity. You, you guys are, you guys make me look good. I got to take care of you. Like you guys are important to me. So when I see something like that there's something going on we'll find out instead of just throwing the fucking book at him because at the end of the day this guy's going through a divorce which is just traumatic as fuck and now his only security which is his job is fucking him too what's this guy going to do cuz he's going to look at it as my life is falling apart and we don't go we don't go uh, get help from from uh, from shrinks so what's this guy going to do you brought up an excellent point man and it is kind of shitty
0: that guys in supervisor positions and- I was pretty lucky that most of the dudes that I worked for as okay. like direct line level supervisors, they weren't that guy that were just going to go fucking drop the hammer. But to jump back on something you said a while ago, and, and I wanted to talk about is when you first promoted, you kind of sat back and watched to see what the issues were. I can't tell you how quickly an officer, if, if you're someone that's going to promote or, or maybe you're newly promoted, from, coming from a, a former you know, line officer, the quickest way to lose respect is to come into the room your first day and say, "I expect A, B, C, D, and E and F out of you guys." This is the way it's going to be. Blah, blah. You're you've lost the room.
1: You've already lost the Correct. room. Which goes back to what I told you before. It's easier to get to your guys going through their heart because then you have their head than going through the head to get to their heart.
0: Yeah, no bad zombie jokes this time. Now, <laughs> and I can I can I'm a personal testament to that. Because when I, my prior life, when I was doing security stuff, I was in management and the first management role I got, I came in there and the place was fucked. I will tell you, like The place was fucked. And they told me coming in, like, some of your guys really suck. However, I came in there with the guns blazing. And then all of a sudden I had no one working there. And I was, you know, working 80 hours a week on a salary not to say these people wouldn't have gone eventually anyway, but I could have maybe saved him. And now fast forward a couple of years later, when I went to a different position, came in, did not handle things like that. And it went a whole lot fucking smoother because I saved who needed to be saved. And I fixed issues without just coming in with that full head of steam, like you guys are fucked and we're going to fix X, Y, and Z and shit like that. So
1: just food for thought. Well, you, you touched on two things, something I said earlier. So whenever you see, and again, this is going to like the, the newly promoted guys that are now, you know, platoon commanders or captains, like guys in charge of a, a, a bunch of cops. If you step into that role and it's a shit show, everything is fucked up. All right. It's not a reflection on the guys. It's a reflection on the leadership that was there before you were there. So coming in, like you're saying and dropping the hammer, you, you just lost them. Come in and like to me, like I told you, I'll walk in a roll call. Hey, I'm so and so. This is my number. I'm just going to sit back and watch. But the only thing I worry about, the only thing I want you guys to do is go home. Go home the same way you came to work in one piece. That's all I want to see. So, again, like the guys that are coming in now, and if they're taking over an investigative unit, and it's a shit show. That's a reflection on the brass that was there before, not on the guys. Because if the brass been doing their job, it wouldn't be a shit show. But number one, number two, this is for supervisors or leaders going into investigative roles, like the super or the, the lead. Narks, guys investigating burglaries you know whatever it may be you know don't come in hard do the same thing hey guys here i'm you know i'm so-and-so you know here's my number you know I just want you guys to go home and then start looking at the reports start seeing what they're doing when they're coming to work again barring divorce like i said before and all that stuff the guys just we say it in spanish it. by his balls he just doesn't want to do it you need to pay very very close attention to what he's doing in his investigations because So if if an investigation of little things aren't being taken care of, just minor things, the big things are not being taken care of either.
0: Yeah, and I think probably everybody listening to this has probably heard of something similar in their department where some shit like this really snowballed because no one was paying attention. There there was no oversight. And a while back, and I'm trying to remember exactly which podcast it was that we were talking about, shit like that is – there I, I believe it was with uh, my good buddy the uh, the out in mississippi who's uh in a leadership role and he made the point like there's always going to be the conflict between you know the guys in the brass kind of is what it is but because there has to be those guys paying attention to what is being done and i kind of brought that up earlier in the podcast is it, things either go you know we're too strict we don't let guys fucking fart and then we have guys that kind of get away with everything to be a good supervisor you have to be a good leader you have to be paying attention to what your dudes do or shit like that will happen as a line level guy i would even argue if you're watching your guy your fucking buddy that's normally fucking squared away and weird shit like that's starting to happen or you know, you're noticing his investigations, even as a patrol officer going downhill or his officer safety is fucked and something's going on. Maybe you can even help out and
1: say, Hey dude, what's up? Just throwing it out there. Yeah, so like for me, if when I work dope, if a guy made a real fucking mistake like like he fucked up, even if it was an honest mistake, like he fucked up. I'm not gonna go from the rip, I'm tossing this guy out of the unit, it's not gonna happen. But but If my guys create a shit show, I got to I got to deal with that shit show and put off fires. So what I have done in the past is, hey, let's go outside and smoke a cigar and we'll go through it. Hey, you did this. You did this. You did this. You fucked up. You know, you made a mistake. And I'm gauging to see his response. If he's like, yeah, lieutenant I'm sorry, I fucked up, man. Yeah, I made a mistake. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, you know, or he's like, no, fuck that. You know, that's how I gauge what I'm going to do. So if it's one of those things where I'm going to tear in your ass, if you fuck up Roddy, I'm going to tear in your ass. I'm gonna, It's going to be me and you. Nobody's going to be around. I'm going to tear. I'm going to tear a new one. But once we're done smoking a cigar, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, it's a dead issue. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Can we go back inside?
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, in a lot of places, it, it lingers forever and ever. No, nah, no nah, gossip. And
1: man. fucking police departments are like high school with fucking guys with guns. Absolutely.
0: The last thing that you wanted to touch on was the new guys. Tell me your
1: thoughts there, pal. Oh. So <laughs> oh. so my first encounter with you guys was when I was a street attendant. And I'll never forget this. I was going home in the morning and I heard a unit take a traffic stop. It's on my way home. I'll go by. I went by and he had backup. Oh, she had backup. She had four guys. It was. It was a good stop. They got a lot of dope out of the car, a gun. Her backup, like, I walked into the car and I starved her. Hey, I'm sorry. What do you got? I don't know. I, you know, I got, I, I've got some pills. I've got some some rock, a little weed. You know, one of the guys had a gun on him. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself, these guys should all be in handcuffs. I walk over. The guys are sitting on the curb, unhandcuffed. And her partner is on fucking Instagram, sending, taking pictures of the bad guy, like selfies with him in the bag. I posted on Instagram. And I started with him. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, oh well, he's like, you're on Instagram taking pictures of these guys. Why aren't these guys in handcuffs? Uh, uh, I only have one pair of handcuffs. Okay, cuff cuff one of the guys. The car is still running. Why isn't the car off in the keys or in the in, in, with the uh, the officer that stopped him? So it's, I had to stop myself. Like, this guy was doing an Instagram with four fucking arrest guys that are going to jail, eating shit. Like, do these guys not understand how quickly something could go bad where these four guys attack him, take his gun, shoot him, and then shoot her? Like, you're on Instagram on a traffic stop? Like, what are you doing? That's like it's TikTok shit. Like, guys dancing and, you know, TikToking inside their green. I was like, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? Like, leave that all that social... Bro, when you're at work, you're at work. The only reason you should be using your cell phone is to call this stuff stuff, like, work-related stuff into work or calling your family. Don't be on Instagram. Don't be on Facebook, Snapchat. Don't leave that shit alone because it's going to get you in a lot of trouble. I don't want to say it yeah. was
0: only are i know you
1: don't like that TikTok. i know you don't like that oh, TikTok. Shit you, I, I
0: just I, I i hate tiktok but i'm sure dudes in our generation of cops were doing similar but different because the the programs
1: are different but the you're making me feel old yeah it's
0: you're right. making
1: me feel old because when, when, when i was a rookie cop the cool thing to have was the next so that you could click the button and talk to somebody and then, we, <laughs> and, then we, and then we and then we will fuck and then we will fuck around like we still do it now like if we're in We'll be in briefings with like upper upper command staff. Your phone better be on silent because if I see that I've done it myself, like my buddies that are lieutenants and captains and other bureaus, like I look around and I'll say what's up, and then once the meeting starts, I'll call your phone to see if you're smart enough to put your phone on silent. And if not, it's gonna blow up, and everybody's <laughs> gonna look right at you. That's a yeah, fuck gonna, That's a blue falcon move right there, dude. Everybody's gonna look at you. Everybody's gonna look at you. So yeah, but but the, yeah, the
0: the rookie shit on Instagram, and I don't. I don't think it's fair to like point fingers at the whole generation, but there is a lot of look at me kind of shit going on right now. And it could be a generational thing, but I will see. Cause here, I mean, here's the thing is I I have some free time and you know, I'll check out other pages or, you know, you know how it is. You scroll down on Instagram and Oh, cause you like this, you might see this and you kind of go down the rabbit hole of, who's on Instagram. And I see a lot of cops that have accounts and it's kind of, you know, it's for clout and they're posting shit on duty that they absolutely should not be posting. And it's, I had one that I don't want to give too many details away, but it was like his girlfriend is like, Oh yeah, check his page out. It's really cool. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, Dude, you need to tell this kid to take all this shit down because if anybody finds out that he's posting pictures of, you know, gang members and guns and shit he pulled
1: off of people, that's fucking evidence. Well, you, that's what I was going to say. If, if a public defender finds out that you're taking pictures on duty, guess what? He's going to ask for a subpoena for your phone and now the public defender has everything on your phone. Everything. Text messages, pictures, everything. Everything you post on Facebook, everything. So if you're comfortable taking pictures on duty like that, you better be comfortable with everything on your phone being part of public record and for the judge to see. I don't post anything, copper, even uh, even on my Facebook profile. You don't know I'm a cop because I don't post anything about my job. The only thing I'll like if we're looking for somebody, you know, I'll, I'll repost, but I don't put on there that I work for for for, the, for my department. Like I don't even post it, like what my employment is. Like no, you, you need you need that layer like that that company that that uh, that you, that sponsors you. The one that like takes takes away uh message like your personal information on the internet. They are the
0: sponsor of this podcast. Officer privacy, well, fucking great.
1: That's bad as that's bad as fuck, I just rookies, if you're listening, if you're comfortable taking pictures on duty the shit you're doing on duty, you better be comfortable with everything on your phone, your browser history, okay, being made public record, and that's a stain. That if you're looking at fucked up stuff on your phone when you're off, you're not gonna be able to get that stain off. I don't care how much bleach you pour on yourself, it's not getting off for you.
0: I think most people, most not all don't use their real name on Facebook or Instagram. And if they do, there is no cop things, but I will tell you guys, I, you know, like I said, I'll scroll through shit and I'll see people that like my page and maybe I'll click and go down the rabbit hole or maybe somebody comments. And I'm like, well, let, let me see who this fucking asshole is or whatever. And I'll click on their profile and I'm blown away with how much identifying information there is out there. And I, I do want to point out that in different parts of the country, it's, different, right? Where places like places in Texas or Tennessee or wherever you have take home cars, you park your car in front of your house and people fucking love you. I get it's a little bit different, but the world is a much smaller place. I would be super fucking careful about anything cop related you put on social media. Don't put body. I mean, guys will put body camera video on social media for God's sakes. How, and in, the Florida, that... in
1: the state of Florida, if that's an open case, like it hasn't been litigated, that's a crime. You've just committed a misdemeanor.
0: Yeah, don't be stupid about that shit.
1: Don't let your buddy nice. use your, your don't let your buddy use your police car to film his rap video. <laughs> I'm is not there, joking. Is there a happening.
0: story behind
1: that? I, I can't because it'll be too descriptive, but don't let your buddy use your police car to film his rap video. Because what's on your police car? What numbers do they put on there? Yeah, exactly. And who knows who that car is assigned to? The brass. Yep. yep. Like, come on. You got to be smart, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's I got to I got to snag that uh, Crown Vic uh, T-shirt you put up.
0: Oh, you have to, man. Yeah, I got um, you do. And you should take a picture in uh, on duty with it, with like some gang members with some No, I'll do it at a warrant. Yeah, do it on a warrant, dude. It'd be perfect.
1: <laughs> no, I, I value my job too much. No, thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice for the new kids. Is, and it's this whole generation's grown up on the computers, right? The, man that makes me sound like a fucking you old
1: know you know yeah yeah I was to say you know who we sound like we sound like those veterans that when we came in that had like fucking 25, 30 years on that were mad that we're showing up in Oakley or Danner's boots like look at these fucking rookies in Danner's boots What do you think they are? Or you got right. you got a flashlight on your gun. What do, what do you think you're in, in SWAT? So I tell myself I like like it, I get like perturbed or kind of pissed off when I see you know these new guys come on and just do that stupid social media shit posting themselves in uniform on duty and like taking selfies that seems like what the fuck what are you guys doing like what's wrong with you leave that shit leave that shit for when you're off and don't be don't be like us
0: and don't well I don't want to say it like us but me at some point you know when you're rookie everything's new and great and fresh I'm telling everyone right now you may still love the job but at some point you will be burnt out and you won't be as happy-go-lucky rookie that you are. It's just, it is what it is. I'm not saying you can't love the job and enjoy the job, but your attitude will change. It's a thing. Don't blame me. Don't so, hate so, me. So, don't so me. Don't at me. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to touch on two things. One thing I already, I already touched on when you're a rookie, how your first year on, it's a reputation you carry throughout your career. So if you want to be somebody to respect and you want to go places, comport yourself the same way, handle your job. Like, like it's your job. You swore no handle that. Like, the fact that you sworn no. Uh, the second thing, um, in our jobs, and I've learned this through, you know, throughout the years and, you know, my son's death and his illness is that we have no control over what, what life throws at us at all. No control. What we do have control over is how we let it affect us and how we react to it. All right. So whenever anything bad happens to you, there's always a good lesson behind it. If you focus on the good, no matter how bad it may be, you're always going to look at life the same way and you're always going to have a positive personality in a job that we should not be positive in. So remember, shit's going to happen to you. It's going to be bad. But you have to look at it through a filter. Like cameras. Now cameras have filters. What filter do you want to look at what happened to you? The bad filter or the good filter? And I promise you, if you keep to that good filter, your life is going to be in your career and your demeanor is going to be that much better. Don't focus on bad shit. Focus on the positive lesson, no matter how bad it is like for my son, what I quickly realized was, yeah, I watched my son pass away. Okay. I could go down that dark road and just be just this completely shut down, angry at the world person. It's like, that's not who I am. Cause that's not who my son will want me to be. I need to look at it this way. You know, we talked about the near death experience that he taught me about. And then I realized like, you know, I was given an angel for 11 years of my life. You know, I know that he's, I got a story about him having my back in death. Like it's a crazy ass story. And then I know when I die, what's waiting for me. So why should I be mad about that? Why should I be angry? No, I'm not. I'm not. And that's what everybody has to realize. Batch is going to happen in your career, in your life. You can't stay stuck on it. You have to look at what the positive lesson is. Take that and move forward. And you will be a happier person in your career and in your personal life.
0: Absolutely. The, the other thing about, you know, posting selfies in uniform and, and identifying yourself as officer so-and-so on Instagram and, and all the shit is, it's nice to be away from the job. Do do your 40, 45, 50, whatever. Turn it off after that. I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, this page probably didn't help as far as my career went. And I'm not going to say it's why I quit. It's definitely not why I quit. But you guys think about it. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. If you're somebody that's out there wanting to be a social media personality. and Fuck, I, apparently some of these TikTokers fucking make bank, which is, Depressing, you know. But hey, you guys want to take money from sixteen-year-old little girls? Go ahead. But what I was going to get at is, use your time off work to be away from it. Enjoy your time at work. But there's so much other shit out there in life. Don't be a cop twenty-four-seven. And that is, you know, you're one
1: hundred percent because that you're you're one hundred percent because guys that are attacked. Like I don't even watch live PD. Like that. I watch live PD or cops. Like. It, it makes my balls itch when I watch you like this guy's doing this wrong. I, I can't fucking watch this. I got to turn it off because it, it just amps me up. Not in a good way. It makes me like angry. Like, what the fuck are you doing? So I don't even I don't even fuck with that. And then what you said was true, especially for the guys that are at the tail end of their career. This job doesn't define who we are. Right. Because once you walk away, what happens to a lot of cops after they retire?
0: Dead. Drop. Fucking yeah. dead.
1: Because the job was the only thing they had. So you have to have something away from this job. You know, I'm, I'm basically on call 24 seven, but when it's, you know, when it's my tour, I do my tour. If I don't have anything to do or nothing's going on, I go home and I completely unplug. I come, I don't have, you know, thin blue line stickers on my car. It's, not that that's a bad thing, but like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a cop and I'm off because I need, to, I need to unplug. I got to unplug, find a hobby, play video games, <laughs> do tick tocks. As long as you're not doing TikToks on, you know, in your uniform, Go fish, go do something, because eventually your career is going to end. And then once that once what you're used to define who you are is gone. Now, what are you? Who are you?
0: Exactly, man. Well, hey, dude, as uh, as we wrap up, I want to get into the the dumb questions that I have lined up for you. First and foremost, Lieutenant. As an adult, have you shit your pants? Plenty of times. See, it even happens to him. It happens to but, you. Stop lying about it.
1: I just shit my pants right now. It happens all the time.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still on the
1: fence if I need to keep this
0: in. I'm like, man, I want to have a really popular podcast, but I keep asking people if they shit their pants. We'll see. Now, we talked about Crown Vicks a little earlier in the podcast. Is in your the- humble opinion, what is the best patrol car of all time?
1: 2002 Crown Victoria. Is that just because? Oh, 2002. Like I told you huh? before, like. I I when I hear, it's a it's a, it, yeah it's yeah it's because the year before I came on that's uh the, the car I drove in uh in driving school you know when they put you on the skid pen and all that yeah to this day I miss the sound of that V8 just uh, just fucking charging to a priority call you could hear that inside the cabin the driver's cabin even with the lights and sirens going you could hear that V8 kick in and then what I really miss too is the smell of burning brakes man
0: you know by the way the, I have off, a... the, off
1: the off the the discs in the Crown Vic but I've been in car cars in Crown Vics know what I'm talking about.
0: You know, I have an O2 Crown Vic, right?
1: You have an O2 Crown Vic?
0: The, the PM, PM Vic is an O2, bud.
1: Oh, bro. There you go.
0: Yeah. If you're not following my even worse Instagram account, that little, that little PM, 4. PM 4. Vic, 70, you got to do block it. V8. Oh. She's nice. Mm. She is nice. You did bring up something that I, we haven't really talked about a whole lot on the podcast, but it's kind of a lost thing now is back in the day, which wasn't that long ago for me, but, you know, your buddy would be, doing whatever on the radio, but then you'd hear that fucking Vic in the background. So you knew something oh, was going yeah, on. Yeah.
1: You, that- you, already, you already knew if, if your partner, got, if your partner got on with his unit number, you know, get click the mic with his unit number. And he heard that V8. I'm dropping what I'm doing and going, where's that? Because he's onto something.
0: Yep. That's kind of a lost thing is these newer cars, the engines are much quieter and they do not come over the radio and the newer radios that- too. Now as an avid listener of this uh, poorly made podcast, you know that I'm going to ask you about a word of the day. Do you got a good word for people to try and sneak into their reports?
1: Hmm. I actually, when just after I made probation, I wrote a drunken disorderly uh, rest affidavit to the, uh, to the, to the rhyme of um, it was the night before Christmas. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I got in trouble for it, but the judge thought I was hysterical.
0: I mean, you got to have fun, right?
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 But a word to use. Huh. Do I want to get people in trouble or I mean
0: be uh be creative with it, but probably not enough to give somebody a write up.
1: Hmm. Man, that's something I have to think about. I'll tell you what, why don't
0: why don't we do this? How about try and create a poem in your report?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stanzas and everything. Yes. You know what? Right write right a dope arrest in a haiku.
0: Yeah. Dope arrest in a haiku.
1: Yeah. Don't press in the haiku.
0: I like it. And then, uh, buddy, I'm sure you have a lot to say on the topic, but do you have any words of wisdom that you want to pass on to the kids listening to the podcast?
1: Yeah. If, if it didn't happen, don't write it. Don't create. Um,
0: you deserve a medal for saying that, by the way. And if, it's amazing that we have to even bring that up.
1: But yeah, yeah. Continue though. The only thing that you have as a cop is respect and integrity. When you lie, you lose both. You not only do, do a disservice to yourself, but for every person that has ever worn a badge and has died doing this job. And family comes before this job always and forever. There's no amount of overtime that you're gonna make that's gonna justify you missing a memory in your family. With your kids, you know, with your spouse. This job is just a job. Okay. And I speak from I speak from a place of pain because again I lost my son. I can tell you how many times I missed baseball games was only around for a couple hours during birthday parties because I got called out like it really it's not worth it because at the end of the day this job will leave you or you will leave this job. And the only thing that you have left is your family. Your family is the greatest asset that you have in your life. That is the greatest investment. It's not your 401k, it's not your retirement, it's your family. Because if you don't have your family, none of that money matters.
0: Well, fucking said my friend well, that wraps up a, uh, Hey dude, you're the, on the 50th episode of the podcast. Congratulations,
1: man. Thank you, man. I turned 40 yesterday, so it's all good.
0: It's all good. Well, uh, thanks everybody for, uh, tuning in. We've made it to 50. Hopefully we uh, make it to hundred and remember if I dog. get, yeah, if we get to a million downloads this year, I will get a poorly made police memes logo tattooed somewhere on my body. I said, if we get to two million, that I would get a, that's tramp, gotta be a stamp. tramp stamp. Yeah, no, got to be a tramp stamp. I can't stamp. do a tramp stamp, dude. <laughs> Come on. That's like uh, then,
1: then, then get it, get it on your throat, so you could be gangster. Get it on where? On your throat.
0: <laughs> that would be fucking funny. <laughs> get it on my forehead. Um, that'd be badass. Just poorly made police memes and like, or or, or just get writing. the
1: badge. Just just get your badge on the gooch.
0: Yeah, I could, dude. Yeah, no, no one would see it. I haven't seen it since uh, I was born. That's what I saw it when I was born, but it's a hairy mess down there.
1: <laughs> TMI, bro. <laughs> TMI. <laughs>
0: anyway, after listening to all that, if you want to help support this podcast, be one of the fucking wonderful people that is a uh, monthly donor to the podcast. At the end of the podcast description, there's a little link. You click on that, you put in a uh, little credit card information, and you help keep the lights on down here so I don't have to get a real job like a normal person. I got some merch obviously and i did want to throw out that the uh the patch is back the poorly made police memes logo is a patch and i gotta uh, get you
1: some practice man i got some really cool patches
0: yeah do that man I'll, hit me up and uh but you can get that patch and it's not velcro and i know a lot of guys ask about velcro but it's a little cheaper if i don't do it that way for you guys but velcro tape is cheap as shit so that's that's my word of the wise too a lot of guys ask me and how please to put the patch wall please
1: up. don't 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 put punisher skulls on your on your tack vest please don't do that
0: Yeah, don't don't do that. And if you're a deputy out in Wyoming, don't use those Velcro gloves on this poor, poor sheep. And then, um, of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. With that said, I hope you guys are all having a safe night out there. Go home to your families, Uh, take care of your brothers and sisters. Be safe. All that good shit, man. You guys know it all. And uh, remember, I love most of you. Bye bye.